pulling up in the parking lot, so we'll give it a couple of minutes. Uh, but we're on a little bit of a greater time crunch than normal, so why don't we say a prayer, and then they can just join in when they come in. Now, let's pray together. Um, our God and Father in heaven, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time when we can put aside physical things and be with brothers and discuss things of a spiritual nature. Help us to practice pure and undefiled religion. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so let's... Uh, when, um, when my dad was preaching in Lubbock, uh, there, was a, there was a guy there um, who, looking back on it now, he was probably on the autism spectrum, uh, but he had a very black and white view of everything in the world. Uh, and so if somebody happened to miss services and nobody knew where they were or what they were doing, uh, you know, keep in mind everybody understood that this guy, you know, just viewed the world differently, right? So this didn't necessarily come across as offensive uh, to the people who knew him. But he would walk up to them the next time they came to services and he would say, report or repent? Report or repent, right? So tell me where you were uh, or you need to repent for not being at services. So... I'm not going to say report or repent tonight, but I am going to have a little bit of accountability uh, for what we said that we were going to do over the past month. Uh, we said that we were going to make two visits. Uh, most of us made a visit right after the class last time. Um, so by a show of hands, who made their two visits to somebody over the course of this month? Okay. If you didn't, you're going to have another opportunity to do that over the course of this month, and we're going to go and uh, do some visiting tonight as well. Uh, I want to give a little bit of time, as uh, I said I would, to uh, report back and uh, feedback. So uh, any questions about the visits that you've made, anything that happened where you say, how should I have handled this, or I'm not sure about this, or any questions that, that need to be brought up before the group? Okay. Yes, Harold? Obviously, we all have big, busy schedules, but we're trying to do this for the good of the other person, right? And so we want it to be as convenient as possible for them. Uh, and so just like all the names that are on the, uh, the list here, either Brenda or I have called all of these people and asked if we could come and visit tonight, um, uh, with one exception. Um, but it doesn't mean they told us the truth, I guess, as far as whether they were good with us coming. Again, we told in advance it would be a short visit. I, I know last week there was one visit at least that went longer at the, because the people wanted it to go longer. Um, and so maybe we just really need to be upfront with people when we're calling and saying, hey, can I come visit you? I really want this to be something that is good for you at a time that is convenient for you. And so when would be a good time? And if we can't come at that time, we can't come. Uh, but as much as possible, try and make it 
where it's something uh, convenient for them. If they don't tell us the truth on that, I have to admit I don't feel super bad about that. Um, but we want to try as best we can to make it as convenient as possible for them. Okay, Any, anything else? What about comments uh, about the visiting that you've done over the past months? Any surprises, any reminders we need to make, any uh, things that happened that you think would be worth sharing to the group? Yes, Jerry? I know from a personal, from my mom and dad, what happened to them the last five years of their life, it means a lot. I mean, when you're set up in those places and they, they have family regularly visit, but for others to come and, and just just to come for 15, mm -hmm. 10 minutes, it just means a lot. Yeah, uh, I, think it, I think it does, especially, especially for those who are still pretty sharp of mind. Uh, but even for those that aren't, just the fact that somebody cares enough to come. Like, uh, Marilyn Dawson, you know, yeah. Most of the time she, she's not going to be coherent or sleeping or something, but just being there with her, signing her book, just knowing that you were there for her, mm -hmm. say a prayer, you know, it means a lot. Well, and, and I know that there are a number of people in here who have been around folks um, as they are running the last mile of the way, right, as, as they're getting close to death, uh, and you've probably experienced even the, the, the stillness, the comfort that comes over somebody who's no longer able to communicate, even just having somebody there in the room with them oftentimes, okay? All right, uh, any other thoughts or comments from the visiting that we've done over the past month before we uh, discuss another aspect of visiting and then go and do some here in just a little bit? Okay, so here's my question tonight. I want you to think about visiting. Most of the visiting we've done has been pretty low stakes in terms of people we know, people that know us. Uh, it's, it's people who are excited about us being there. Uh, there's not a lot of stress involved in the situation. But I want you to think for a moment, what would be the hardest situations to go and visit someone? If, if you have to go and visit someone or you choose to go and visit someone, what would be the hardest sort of situations to find yourself in? What do you think? Yes, wait. Visiting someone in prison. Visiting someone in prison. Okay, what makes that difficult? A little bit more of a process. Okay, so maybe there's some technical hurdles that we have to go through in order to go and visit someone. Yeah, Steve? Don't forget to check the pistol at the gate. All right, that's, that's the kind of practicality we need right here, right? Uh, don't forget to check your pistol at the gate if you go visit someone in prison. They tend to frown on that, I would assume. So, okay. Uh, all right, so maybe we're going and visiting someone and there's some logistical hurdles. Uh, certainly sometimes at the hospital you can run into that. Um, and uh, maybe that's improved a great deal, but during COVID that was especially difficult and, and in the years after COVID. Okay, so what else? What other sort of situations? Maybe it's not technically difficult, but it's difficult on us, maybe even difficult on them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is really, that is a really tough situation, right? When somebody, it, is, it appears as though they are um, headed toward death. That's difficult. Yes, sir. Paula uh, had that stroke and it affected her speech. And so I remember my mom having a slurred speech. We can understand her, but it, we were around her all the time. But uh, she had a good memory. And she, you know, I don't know how bad Paula is, but 
she had a good memory, and so she remembers and hopefully Paula does too. I saw Paula earlier today, and, and she was um, doing pretty well as far as her speech goes. It wasn't super slurred, so, um, so that was good. Um, I know she's got quite a bit of recovery in terms of use of her left arm and leg, uh, but her speech was in pretty good shape, at least when I was talking to her. Same with my mother on her left side, and there's a certain amount of, I don't know, uh, maybe not so much around people outside of family, but just, you know, uh, I don't know how to put it, but maybe just kind of shame to have to yeah, embarrassment. for everything to be done for. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've run into a few situations where you come in and there's some embarrassment uh, on the part of the person, uh, maybe because of the situation they're in. In some of those cases, it's, well, this isn't a good time, I need to go. In others of those situations, well, I'm here and I actually need to help in this situation. And, and judging that can be difficult sometimes, even in and of itself. Okay? Other situations that we might find difficult. Yes, Pastor. It's one thing to visit someone who's lost someone mm -hmm. under, I, I hesitate to use the word normal circumstances, mm -hmm. but, you know, due to long-term illness, elderly, so forth, it's particularly difficult when someone has lost someone under very unusual, you know, unpleasant circumstances. Yeah. Especially, especially if it's not according to the natural, normal order of life. Um, that is especially difficult. And uh, I know several of us in here have been in situations like that. Um, what do you do in situations like that? So I want us to kind of maybe talk about those a little bit. We're going to use the scriptures as a jumping off point for uh, the remainder of our time before we go and do some visiting. Um, I think another one I would add to that list is someone who... Uh, we maybe believe is in sin. That's a little different kind of visiting, but certainly someone who suffered a great loss is in great pain, is in mourning. Uh, maybe there's a medical situation involved, those sorts of things. And so a great place to talk about that is the book of Job. So turn to Job chapter 2, if you would, Job, Job chapter 2. You certainly can When you know something's going to be good, you can deal with it because you know what you're dealing with. When you know it's going to be bad, it's terminal. There's definite ways of dealing with it because you know. I always found the hardest ones was when it's hanging in the balance. And what do you say? You can't. And, and there are some things to say, but one of the things they teach us as a nurse do not tell them they're going to be okay because you don't know if they're going to be okay. And yeah. you can't say stuff like that. What if you don't know? What do you talk about? So yeah, I, I think that's excellent. Uh, knowing what to say and what not to say is maybe the, even the bigger issue. Um, and, and going into a situation where there's a lot of unknowns, I had a situation recently where uh, I was going and visiting someone who had suffered a loss. I didn't know any of the family. I knew her. I didn't know any of the family. And I get in there, and there's some tension, not with everybody, but with a few of them, clearly with the fact that I'm a preacher. Uh, I don't know what kind of church heard or past they have with whatever, uh, but you get in there in that kind of unknown situation and all of a sudden you feel there's some tension in the room because you're there, uh, 
you're going to have to deal with that kind of situation from time to time. Um, not because you're a preacher, but because you're a Christian and you're going and trying to, to provide comfort during these times. So we know Job lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. Uh, his wife tells him to just curse God and die while you're still hanging on to your integrity. What he didn't lose was his integrity and his relationship with God. And he still has some friends. And in Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, let's read three verses together. Now when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. For they had come at an appointed time together and mourn, to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. And they lifted up their voices and wept. Each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. All right, let's, uh, let's start with these friends of Job and uh, what they did right. What did they do right in coming to visit Job? In, in fact, I would suggest they did everything right in these three verses. So what did they do that we can learn from? They went. They went. What else? They didn't say anything. They just sat there and mourned with him. What else? They came together. The three of them said, let's all go and visit Job. What else? They wept with him, right? What else? Uh, one thing that I see is that it says, uh, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. So they had a plan. They had a time. They made an appointment saying, this is when we're all going to go together and this is what we're going to do when we get there. And when they get there, they raised their eyes from afar. They raised, lifted their voices and wept. They tore their clothes and sprinkled dust on, his head, on their head toward heaven. They got down in the dust right there with Job. And I want to suggest that they did everything right up to this point and everything that they did to come together to, to give him some comfort. Uh, they were deeply pained by his condition. They mourned for his loss. They wept with this one who was weeping. They sat silently with him for a week. In short, they did exactly right until they spoke to them, spoke to him. And when they spoke, they were accusatory, they were judgmental, they were haughty, and they undid all of their earlier acts. If you look there in Job chapter 16 and verse 2, I have heard many such things, miserable counselors are you all, shall empty words or words of wind have an end. They were miserable counselors. And what, what made them miserable comforters on this occasion? What made them miserable comforters? They spoke, and they spoke a lot in these chapters. They spoke, and they spoke, and they spoke. What else made them? They accused. They made a lot of assumptions about the situation and what they thought they knew in that situation. Anything else we would add to that list? Well, I'd go so far as to say they made some stuff up um, because they got into this situation. They got into the heat of the moment. Uh, it's clear that they're getting mad in this situation, 
and they went so far as to make things up in order to try and make their point. And they were too busy trying to straighten Job out to really provide any comfort to him. Uh, they were overstepping their bounds, and they were not going to get anywhere with the approach that they, that they made. So here's my real question for tonight. What should Job's friends have done? Put yourself in their shoes. What should they have done? Uh, I think that's a good summation. Listen more and talk less. James chapter 1, verse 19, let every man be, what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, listen, number one, if you want to put numbers on it, number one, listen. Now, did they listen at first? Well, all of chapter 3, Job speaks um, and Eliphaz very gently in chapter 4 and verse 2 says, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold for himself from speaking? I'm your friend. I've got to say something. They listened to him in this whole chapter as he's uh, uh, moaning about his situation. And, and they did listen, but they didn't really listen to understand, I don't think, to really hear him. At the end of the first cycle of speeches, that's what Job asked for in chapter 13 and verses 5 and 6. If you look over there, uh, Job 13, 5 and 6. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning and heed the pleadings of my lips. What he's saying is, just listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. Again, at the end of the second cycle of speeches, he asks for this in chapter 21 and verses 1 through 3. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered, uh, excuse me, chapter 21, not 22, 21 verses 1 through 3. Job answered and said, listen carefully to my speech and let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak and after I have spoken, keep mocking. Again, just listen to me. If, if you want to mock me at the end of it, that's fine, but I need you to hear what it is that I'm saying. Uh, and it's no... It's no surprise, after they don't listen, what Job says in chapter 26. After Bildad speaks and the friends don't speak anymore, at least not these three friends, Job says in verse 2, how, uh, 26, 2, how have you helped him who is without power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? And how have you declared sound advice to many? To whom have you uttered words... And whose spirit came from you? You hadn't helped me at all. That's the way I would sum that up. You said all of these things, but you didn't listen to me, so why should I listen to you? So we need to be really good listeners. That includes when we think somebody's done something wrong, but that also includes those times when we're just going to be with someone. We need to listen. We need to be there to listen. A lot of those people... Um, Jerry was talking about who are sitting in places and don't see very many people at all. Uh, maybe they're the kind of person who's going to ask us lots of questions. And if they ask questions, we need to answer those questions and tell them about our kids and tell them about the church and tell them about what's going on. But sometimes what they want is the opportunity to, for somebody to see them and ask about them and ask about what's going on in their life. And so we need to ask some questions as well to them. Uh, and then listen intently. And the thing is, that's not just uh, some sort of ritual thing that we go through. You will be amazed. The things that you learn, 
uh, the wisdom that you get, uh, the encouragement that you receive if, if you're willing to listen. And it's not a matter of us not speaking, but we need to listen, number one. Number two, I would put it this way. Don't speak unless you're really sure about what it is you're going to say. And certainly don't speak if you don't know what to say. Uh, you know, this happens sometimes, believe it or not, uh, in my sermons, and probably it's happened to Harold too. Um, I have very extensive notes to try and keep this from happening. But sometimes you get started on a sentence. Has this ever happened to you? You get started on a sentence and you're about halfway done and you realize you're not sure how this sentence is supposed to end. Uh, well, we can't get in that sort of situation when it comes to uh, a visit with someone, especially if they're in pain, especially if they're mourning, and we start trying to give them some platitudes. What was the one you said? They're going to be okay? Yeah. Well, unless you know that's the case, don't be making promises you can't keep. And if you make some promises, make sure it is something that you are going to keep. And so you can tell somebody, I'm going to be praying for you. Um, but saying, hey, they're going to be okay, that sort of thing, uh, I'm not sure that provides any real comfort. Because we're not God and we don't know. Yes, sir? What you're saying is saying you pray to God. It, where you go then is God is good, God's watching over the situation, God's doing this, God's doing that. God is just, God is righteous, God's a good God. It's all about all those things say you're putting it in God's hands because we don't know. I, I, I think I think you're absolutely right about that, Steve, but I wanna I wanna preface that or qualify that statement with this. If we're saying those things, we better make sure they're not platitudes of the world. We need to make sure that these are things that come from Scripture. Uh, what's the big phrase that people say when a tragedy occurs? Everything happens for a reason. It was just their time. You know, a lot of those platitudes um, are just that. We need to educate ourselves. We're repeating promises out of the Bible. Yeah, yeah I think that's a great way of putting it. Um, we are repeating promises out of the Bible in terms of what God has promised that he will do. And if we, uh, even if we care deeply about somebody even if we come and mourn with them, even if we spend seven days and seven nights in the dust down there with them, and we've proven our love, our words can undo all of our other comforting if we're not careful. A phrase that comes up a number of times in the book of Job, used by both Job and his friends, is an abundance of words. Uh, well, that's called foolishness in other places in the Bible, right? And so we need to be careful about an abundance of words. Instead, our focus should be Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Being empathetic toward those uh, who have suffered and are suffering. Weep with them, pray for them, and sometimes maybe just leave it at that. Uh, a lot of times, like with Joe, we just say, go make sure he has something to drink, food prepared. You go to somebody's house and if you go about that, they kind of fall in there and then they'll open it. Oh, I, I, think that's, I think that's excellent, Lonnie. If we can go and do something for them, uh, sometimes that's, that's just what they need. Um, Ty mentioned earlier, you know, unexpected losses, painful losses. Uh, you know, I can think of a number of, 
examples uh, over the course of my life where I was in those situations um, where there's nothing to say, nothing that you can say, really. Um, I remember on one occasion just sitting on a swing uh, with a father and just swinging back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we did that for 40 minutes. Um, put my arm around him. Uh, I knew him well enough to know that, you know, he liked that physical touch, you know. Uh, I'm a big hugger, you know that, and so I know that there's some people who aren't. So I'll, I'll ask a lot of times, um, can I give you a hug? Uh, and, it's, and it's funny. Uh, even some people who maybe I've never hugged before, almost always they say yes, and almost always they cry into my shoulder in those moments. Um, and there's not really anything to say to bring comfort. But your presence, your presence can and does bring a degree of comfort for them. Um, some, sometimes people just need to know and feel that we are there for them. And if we can't think of the right thing to say, that's okay. We don't have to say very much. Uh, so, thoughts or questions there? very uncomfortable but the one thing will never happen they'll never forget you were the one that did come there they'll never forget yeah and um, same thing is true of you know one of the things we can do in visiting is go to funerals right if we have the opportunity to do that and go into a funeral and them seeing you there or a visitation same thing um, that can make a really really big impact uh, on people. That's something that my mom told me. I don't know where she stole it from, but uh, you know, you can't go to every funeral, but that was her thing. Always go to the funeral. That's, that was her phrase that she said. And there are times when you can't. There's times when it doesn't work with your work schedule or you're out of town or whatever, uh, but if you can be there for them in those moments, uh, that's something powerful we can do as brethren. And it's also um, sometimes makes an impact on those who are not Christians, uh, that, that the brethren are there for their brothers and sisters. And other people see that, and other people know that that's not the way it is all the time with people out in the world as well. Okay? We just have a couple more minutes left. Uh, there's more that we could talk about in regard to this. Um, I'll say this. Uh, when we do feel compelled to say something... Um, being gentle about that um, is something that's very important for us to do, saying things uh, as gently as possible. Um, I'll, also, I'll also say this um, in regard to not knowing the right thing to say. Uh, sometimes it's say nothing, uh, of course, but, but I think also we have to be careful not to, um, not to pretend as though the grief isn't there not to pretend as though the loss isn't there. Uh, there was a widow who, who told me this a number of years ago. Um, she said, it's like when he died, nobody talks about him anymore. And it's almost like I'm losing him again because nobody will bring him up. Nobody will talk about him. And obviously there's a really fine line to walk there, um, but I think we need to be mindful of that, especially as the years go by. Um, 
And especially if we had a relationship with that lost loved one to bring up those good times and talk about those things when they come to mind, naturally to bring those things up when they come to mind. Um, you know, one example of this, y'all know that many of you were close with Leon Manning as well. If something reminds me of Leon, I'll text Miss Nancy. Um, and she has always been appreciative of that, that uh, I remember him and I remember those good things. Um, and uh, that's been helpful to her, uh, she's told me in her grief. Um, so again, are we going to be perfect in all of this? No, I mean, when people are at their most raw, that's also when they're most likely to be offended. And, and I'm not trying to be critical, that's just the reality, right? So we have to be careful, um, but if we are thoughtful and careful and prayerful about this, we can really make a big impact. All right, Steve, and then I've got one more thing before we go. I had to work on with me is being judgmental. A lot of people are in a situation need to be visited, and it's of their own doing. I mean, they brought it on themselves, and that everybody knows it, and they know it. And you know, one thing they taught us: we have people with AIDS, you got people with in cardiac, you have a lot of IV drug users that get heart infections, and they're there for three months with antibiotics and everything. And you have to work on yourself. I mean, okay, yeah. They brought it on themselves, but if now it's on themselves and they need somebody. Yeah. So, you know, what are you going to do? And most of us could probably be accused of the same thing. Well, uh, I thought that might come up at some point, so I, I jotted down some thoughts on that idea because I know that there have been times in my life where it's somebody I care about, but I go to them and basically I'm mad at them for being so stupid. You know, I'm mad at them for putting themselves in this situation where now they have all this pain and hurt and things that they've gone through. Uh, and I think it's especially tough on us not to say something, even if we know it's true. Sometimes we want to hammer it, you know. Don't you know how stupid you've been? Well, what's the answer to that question? Yeah, they probably do. They probably do know. If it's so obvious to us, they probably know it without us pointing it out. And it's almost cruel to point out someone's fault when they already know it, and especially if they already feel terrible about it. And if it sin, isn't sin, if it's just, foolishness and there is a, a slight difference now there's some overlap of course between sin and foolishness but if it's not sin sometimes it is better just to leave it alone to pick our battles a little bit um, there's some people in my family where I've had to do that from time to time right this isn't sinful but boy I sure disagree with this decision but there also might be some times coming up where I have to I have to play my cards and it is something sinful well is this something that where I want to save it for something that's really important if it is sin, of course, it must be pointed out, but the manner in which we go about doing so is so vitally important. And if we are pointing out sin to somebody, what's our primary goal when we're doing that? I'm asking. Yeah, repentance. That's our goal. And so how can I express this in such a way that repentance is ultimately achieved? Uh, we talked about last time how uh, ending or having a prayer at some point, maybe ending with a prayer uh, is very important. How do we do that in these sort of situations? Um, well, I want to give you kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card um, in regard to that. Uh, something that I'll do sometimes when I find myself, I'm not sure exactly even what to pray here, is I'll paraphrase what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. And I'll say, Lord, we come before you, and we don't know exactly what to say or do in this situation, but you know our hearts, 
and we have groanings that cannot be uttered, and we ask you in your wisdom and in your might to do what you know is best. Something along those lines. Uh, I pray that because I believe it, but I'm also praying that because um, I don't know. I don't have the exact words to say. Uh, and I'll tell you, sometimes there's a little extra pressure when you're the preacher. You know, the preacher's always supposed to know what to say. Well, no, I don't. I certainly don't. Um, but I know that God is working, and I want Him to be working in those situations. All right, any final thoughts or comments uh, on this idea of visiting? All right, so I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first thing is, if you are willing to commit this month to making two visits uh, to somebody, uh, I talked with uh, somebody who wasn't in the class, and they're not here again tonight, but they wanted to be a part of this, uh, and they said, well, what about, you know, uh, the, the orphans part of that? Well, I said, well, there's lots of things you can do with that, but think about young people and how we can have an impact on young people uh, there's a lot of activities going on right now in the spring. If you show up at some kid's event at their track meet or whatever, I mean, that makes a big impact uh, a lot of times. And we don't think about that as visiting necessarily, uh, but I suggested to this person who asked me, I said, you know, why don't you uh, text some of the kids you know about their basketball schedule? The, the basketball season wasn't over at that point. I said, why don't you text some of them and say, hey, when can I come to a game? because that'll make a, a big impact on them. So maybe think outside the box in some of these. There's lots of ways that we might visit with somebody. Maybe it's going to lunch with a brother or something along those lines. Ty? The opportunity we all have to host a Tebow. Host a Tebow. That's a great one, yeah. Uh, now, that that account for at least two if you, if you host a Tebow. So, uh, um, and I know that the third through fifth is still available for March. Um, so junior high and high school is taken, but... We can have more than one if we wanted to. Uh, so anything else tonight? Oh, I was going to make you commit, right? So if you'll commit to doing that, don't have to raise your hand high, but if you just give me a thumbs up right here saying, yes, I will visit at least two people this week, this month, then uh, that's something we need to do. Okay. Anything else? Any other final thoughts? Okay. Yes, Jerry? It's real difficult for somebody not well established, I don't mean well established in the congregation that has longevity here, not knowing a lot of these people. And, and just, I, I find a lot of gaps in the church directory. No information. Yeah, we can only put information in there that people give, and sometimes they don't want to give all the information. But does everybody have the church directory app? Does everybody have that? That is a super handy tool. Uh, if you have a smartphone and you can get that app, uh, that's really, really helpful because it's updated. As soon as we get updates, Brent, Miss Brenda updates that. Um, and that is... Uh, but you can download it again and get, get your email in there. And if you need help with that, I'm willing to help you with that. So you can call me or text me and I'll, I'll help you get that set up. Directory app is really, really helpful for those things. Uh, and sometimes, Jerry... Um, I think a good thing to do, you know, it was just happenstance that we happened to be uh, at the chicken place together, whatever Sunday that was, Sunday before last or whatever, and, you know, Andy and Sheila and I and you and Linda we, and Stephanie, we all got to eat together. Inviting somebody to go eat on a Sunday, you know, that's something that we can do to visit with our brethren, maybe that we don't know as well. Uh, that's also a good way to kind of bridge some of those generational gaps one way or the other. 
uh, in kind of a neutral site, you know, going out to eat with someone. That's another idea. All right, so uh, we're running a little behind. So, Monty, do you want to start us off? I'm going to see somebody. Uh, we've got eight people. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, we need at least two people to go to each one. Um, again, uh, almost all except for one, Marilyn Dossey, have been contacted ahead of time about this visit. So. Now you pick one. Okay. All right, Melody. Uh, Monty's going to see Melody. Who's going with him? Okay. Dave's going. Dave's going. All right. Who else? Come on. We got to go. Ty. I want to go see Paul. You want to go see Paul at the hospital? Who's going to go with Ty? You through with us? I'm through. If you if you got somebody to visit, go, and then I'll know you're accounted for. Dave's going to go. Okay. All right. Yes, Wade. Go see Brother Shipley. Great. I'm going to have to do some check marks here. So somebody's got Nelda, somebody's got Frank, uh, somebody's got Paula. Who else? Marilyn Horton. Okay. We got Marilyn Dossie. See Ted. Carol's going to go see Ted. Oh, okay. Uh, who else doesn't have one? You'll go see Ted? Okay. Uh, so we have Joanne. Joanne left. Is anybody going to see Joanne? Well, Brenda called her and said somebody would be coming a little after 7. So, uh, Jose? Somebody go with Jose? Uh, 